to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Morning. No, it's very awkward when you know, you're, you're coming up and then people stop clapping before you set up. Just uh, five more seconds, uh, you know. I'm still setting up. Uh, no, okay. Well, good morning. Morning. You know, I was uh, just taking a look at my notes, and then I realized, right, that I left a piece of paper at home, like from my, from my notes. And uh, it, was the no- it was the page with all my jokes on it. I actually prepared this time around. I was actually quite sad. Okay, but I, I think I found, um, I found most of it online. So, okay. So, I'm going to give you some life advice this morning. Uh, how many of you here are you know, um, finding a job, getting a, going for job interviews, or thinking of changing a job and have to go through an interview process again? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, if you're not, here are some helpful tips and tools. Uh, if you are. Here are some helpful tips and tools, just, just in case you, know, you want to go through that interview process again. If asked if you are the applicant, say, no, I'm not the applicant, I'm the applicant. <laughs> you all don't get it? Uh? T, no? Show you're good at delegating responsibility by sending someone else to the interview. When asked why you'd be suited for the job, pass an ancient scroll across the desk and say, it was foretold. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny, you know, funny. <laughs> if you're meeting with three interviewers, bring in a four-finger Kit Kat. Take charge of distributing the Kit Kat to emphasize leadership. If asked where you see yourself in five years, walk across the table, tip the interviewer across the cha- over, uh, tip the interviewer out of a chair, sit in a chair and say, here. <laughs> Take the opportunity to break out a can of Coke while you're at it. This is my favorite one. When asked if you found a place okay, said, I was driven here by a taxi, but normally I'm driven by results. <laughs> Up there, right? Uh, let's give a hand for the jokes. <laughs> ah. oh, funny, funny. Y- you know, I, I think this is my fifth time speaking in the church, you know. And every time I'm given the opportunity, you know, I, I am so ridiculously humbled by the opportunity, you know, like that all of you will take 40 minutes out of your day on a Sunday to listen to me. I, it's, it's a great privilege. I just want you to know that you know, I take this, you know, I don't take this lightly. You know, and um, I'm not trying to boast or anything, but I put hours into, into you know, these, these sermons and I just want you to know that I really, really appreciate you know, the opportunity that you have given me, the time that you, you take to listen to me and uh, really, really grateful. Thank you so much. Really, it's super duper humbling. And you know, on that note, you know, like, at, I don't take... You know, this opportunity, you know, and 
and I was really praying into this Sunday's uh, sermon, you know, and I really feel that you know, I have the, a, a word from the Lord you know, that, that speaks into our season, that speaks into where the church is going, you know, for the next few years. And uh, it, it's, 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 this is by far the hardest sermon I've ever had to prepare. You know, it's one of those things where you know that the Lord wants to do something, but you're not sure whether, you know, you have the ability to carry out, which makes all the sense because, you know, you are not the one that's going to carry it out, but the Lord is going to move through you. And um, so it's scary slash exciting. And I'm, I'm actually shaking a bit, which is not normal. But, uh, you know, let's pray this morning together. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, we ask that we will never lose the wonder of your great love for us. Lord, may we never lose the wonder, the awe, your great love for us. Lord, we ask that this morning that you will captivate our hearts once again with your great love. That, Lord, you will encounter hearts this morning. Lord, we say that we don't want to leave this place the same. Lord, we don't want to come in week in, week out every Sunday and leave the same. Lord, we ask for your love to transform us, to encounter us in a deep way. God, we ask for your spirit to be here. And Father, I, I avail myself as, as a vessel for you to speak through and minister to your people, that Lord, that your word will go forth and indeed not return void. And Father, that, that you will hide me behind the cross, that, that all that, that the people here see and encounter will be your love and the reality of your cross. So we thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, um, how many of you have a Bible? It's a bit interesting to shift gears, but, but let's, let's jump into it right away. Uh, let's, let's look at Genesis chapter 11. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning. Uh, Genesis chapter 11. I did not do the slides, just so you all know. It's a bit too cool for me. Genesis chapter 11, okay? And this is the story regarding the Tower of Babel. It says in the Bible... Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and then they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad. Across, abroad over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, But the Lord came down to the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one. Take note of that. Indeed, the people are one. And they all have one language. And this is what they, they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. In some translations, it says that then nothing is impossible for them. 
Okay? Take note of this, okay? They, they, had, they, are, they had one language, the people were one, and then this is what the Lord said to them, said about them, that nothing they proposed to do will be withheld for them. Nothing is impossible for them. And then we know the rest of the story. The Lord sent the languages down, confused them, and scattered them across the earth. Okay? Let's jump from this verse to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you are there, say, I'm there. If you have your iPhone, scroll to it. Android, keep it in your bag. This is an apostolic church. Okay, I have one quick joke. Do you know, uh, do you know what material Mario's um, overalls are made of? Denim, denim, denim. Okay, never mind. <laughs> okay, Acts chapter 2. Are you there? Okay. Just so we are all back on the same train, okay? They, the people had one speech. They were one. And then the Lord said that nothing they proposed to do, nothing they, were, they desire to do will be without them. Then Acts chapter 2. It said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. They were all in one, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you have a, a study Bible, you'll find that you know, the, the, the different commentaries draw, draws a link between the story of Babel and the day of Pentecost. Because there, there are similarities in the two stories. Okay? The, common the common things are, in Babel, the people had one language and they were in one accord. On the day of Pentecost, the people gathered. Okay, we all know the story, you know, 120 gathered in the upper room. They were in one accord. They were, they were in, in a place of unity. And then the Holy Spirit fell upon them and gave them tongues. How many of you know that they were not just filled with different languages, they were filled with a common language, and, and that was the language of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the people were one, and they had one language, which was the language of the Spirit. What can we say then about the Acts chapter 2 church? The Lord says to the people in Babel, you are one and you have one language. Nothing you do is impossible. Nothing will be withheld from you. The same way, you know, the Acts chapter 2 church uh, was presented in the Bible. We can say about the Acts chapter 2 church that nothing is impossible for them. And if you read you know, down, down the, the, the various stories of the apostles, of the people in Acts, you know, we, we see that, that after the, the upper room experience, thousands were saved. Miracles, signs, and wonders happened. You know, then uh, after a bit, you know, a little sin crept into the church. The Ananias and Sapphira, they, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you know, it, it seemed that that sin could derail the church, but they did not. They recovered. Then after that, you know, Peter and John were arrested. 
you know, leaders of the church were, were taken away, but God supernaturally broke them out of prison, didn't stop them. Stephen was martyred. You know, it was the, the first death of the early church. Uh, a man you know, who, who proclaimed the gospel so, so passionately that, that he was persecuted for it. And as he was being stoned, as he was taken out of, of the city compound and, and was ready to be stoned, he said, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And, and even though it was a death of a close friend, it didn't stop the church. And then, you know, we, we move on and we see the church being persecuted by a man named Saul. Saul persecuted the church. And then God encountered Saul and he became Paul, one of the leaders, uh, the, the man who wrote most of this. Paul is in prison, shipwrecked, heavily persecuted. Can I put it to you that the early church, they were unstoppable. They were unstoppable. Nothing they purposed to do was without from them. They were unstoppable. You know, the, the apostles traveled in one accord. Imagine 12 people being fitted into one car. Okay, never mind. You all get that tomorrow. Honda Accord. Okay. No, people ask me what's my love language. My love language is laugh at my jokes. Okay? <laughs> and we see here, no, nothing they prefer to do. D- different setbacks, sin, death. Nothing could stop the early church. How many of you agree with me on that? Yeah. And you know, the, the Greek word for the word church in the Bible is the word ekklesia, which simply means this. It means the called out ones or the sent out ones. Church, by definition in the Bible, was not a monument. It was not a building. It was not a service. Church, by definition in the Bible, was the people. It was the community. You can say this of the early church, that that the words of Jesus, that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They lift out that verse. The people did. I will build these people and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? They didn't just sustain the work that Christ established. They advanced it against the odds. They endured, persevered, and stood firm. And that is our heritage as a church. That is the the pioneering work of Christianity. That was the early church. And the question I have for us today is, are we unstoppable? Are we unstoppable? Can we, can we make that same statement about ourselves that the gates of hell will not prevail against us? No matter what the obstacle, no matter what the conflict, no matter what the, the controversy is, it will not prevail against us. We as the church will prevail. Can we say that about ourselves? You know, the truth is, the modern church today, we, we are fairly stoppable. <laughs> you know, if I were to change the service timing today from 10 a.m. to 8 a.m., people would be like, what? 8 a.m.? I don't think Jesus wakes up at 8 a.m. You know, the, the opportune time, the kairos moment is 10 o'clock. 
That's the truth. You know, I, I put in some road closures and people are like, uh, you know, I'm not going to park my car and walk all the way there. You know, I'll be sweaty. <laughs> I mean, truthfully speaking. You know, and, and this is a hard message for me to preach because, you know, I, I have this principle where I, I, I will only preach and share messages where on some level I have lifted out or, or uh, gained some maturity in the message. But with this message, friends, can I tell you that I am, in a, work, I am a work in progress? Seriously, the, the Lord confronted me, me on this very, very subject. He said, Andre, are you unstoppable? You know, a little bit of discouragement, and I'll be like, I give up. This thing is not for me. I should quit my job. I just, I just thought about that three weeks ago. I was like, I should quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> my boss is a tyrant, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding, they're, they're, they're great. But that's the, that's the truth, you know, a, a little bit of bad weather, a little bit of uh, change service timing, you know, different speaker, right? They were like, oh yeah, Daniel Choi is not speaking this Sunday. This is kid named Andre Tan, uh, stay at home. <laughs> Air conditioner breaks down, chair a little bit out of order, a little bit dirty, like, oh, I'm not going to sit on that, I go home. <laughs> truth is, we are fairly stoppable. And it brings, it makes me... It, it, it makes me wonder, you know, why, you know, the, 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 the early uh, church fathers, you know, the apostles, the members of the early church, why were they unstoppable? Why did they have a resolve? Why did they have this thing in them of like, I am not going to settle. I'm not going to let this thing come against my love for God. I'm, I'm not going to let this thing stop me from ministering. Why did they have that and, and why does it seemingly look like we have less of that. When the Bible says that we, we should go from glory to glory, from strength to strength, that we are meant to build upon the foundation to, that they have set. It makes me wonder, you know. And you know, these guys, you know, the, the cool thing about them is that, you know, they, they lived in, you know, a lot of them lived in proximity to Jesus. You know, they saw the man, they saw the man Jesus himself. They saw him live. They saw him do things. They saw him wash his clothes. They saw him eat. They saw Jesus doing life. And I think many times as a church, we just get fixated on one thing, you know, which is the death of Christ and salvation. Nothing against that. Okay? This is beautiful. This is wonderful. But if we look at the Gospels, you'll find that majority of the Gospels account a, a, a majority of the gospel accounts for the life of Jesus, not just the death. If the death of Jesus is the only thing that we need to study, learn, and, and glean from, then it will, it will, the, complete, the gospel account will be completely about the death of Jesus. The sum of the convictions, principles, ideals of Jesus he calls it the kingdom of God. The Bible mentions the kingdom, Jesus mentions the kingdom of God at least 70 times in the gospel. That is a lot more than times he mentions salvation. Salvation is part of the kingdom of God, but it's not the whole picture. As the church, we have to not just endeavor to, to embrace the work of Christ on the cross, but we should endeavor to live 
like Jesus. The gospel accounts, you know, this, the, the, the different things you know, we, we see in the life of Jesus, they, they, it's the roadmap for us to pursue living like Him. Amen? Amen? Come on, man. Help me preach. Come on. Amen? I, this, is, this is good stuff. Jesus did not just come to the earth to, to die. He came to the earth to live in the shoes of men. Go through our struggles. Go through our pain. And this is what he did. He modeled what it looked like to live life, kingdom. He modeled it. He didn't just go stand, stand from, from up above and like, do that, do that, do that, do that. No, he came down in the dirt. And he taught us how to live. And that lifestyle, that manner of living, he calls it, the kingdom of God. Amen? Yeah. This is how He disciples us. You know, and, and the truth is, we mention the kingdom of God like many times in this church. This church is like a kingdom church. You know, we quote Matthew 6.33, you know, more than the average church. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. But the truth is, you know, do we know what the kingdom of God is? What does it look like? What does it represent? What does it entail? How is it expressed? You know, it, it, we have like a really archaic picture of what kingdom of God is, like castle, you know, princess, prince. No, but it's so much more than that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. Ooh, Matthew chapter 13. If you're there, say there. Let's be a church that reads our Bible. Amen? Matthew chapter 13. I love Matthew chapter 13 for you know, a variety of reasons. You know, it, it gives us a glimpse into like, the almost sassiness of Jesus. I, I'm going to explain it a bit. Okay, don't walk out from church yet. <laughs> you know, uh, Matthew chapter 13 is, is you know, a, 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 whole, a range of parables, and, and all these parables, you know, I, I, I term it you know, the, the parables of the kingdom. It gives us a glimpse into like, you know, Jesus' understanding of the kingdom of God and, and the things that he desired for his followers to comprehend about the kingdom of God. And it's so funny, you know, like Jesus you know, was, was standing there and you know, a great multitude gathered. And you know, if, you, if you look at the commentaries, you, you, you will know that you know, people gathered from like towns. You know, they would walk days to meet with this Jesus who people call the Messiah. And Jesus was standing there with a great crowd of, of people. And then he looked at them and said, uh, I have some seeds. I sold some on the, on the path. I sold some on the thorny ground. So some on good soil, blah, blah, blah. And that was it. And, 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 then, and then people were like, huh? They didn't understand. They're like, what? And then it, it, it was to the point that even his, his closest friends, his disciples came to him and went, what was that, Jesus? Like, what was that? That, that didn't even make sense. And then Jesus goes on and said, you know, that, that, uh, that he wears ears, let him hear. And, and he talks about how, you know, these parables were designed in a way to, to, fill, to, to get rid of the crowd and leave, uh, a, leave them with a saturated uh, uh, community of people who actually desired to pursue the kingdom. For some reason, Jesus didn't really like crowds all that much. In fact, it made him like, slightly cynical. He's like, oh, really? 
you, you want to follow me? Do this, 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 this. And it's, it's so great. I just love it. Like Jesus wasn't impressed by big crowds of people. He was impressed by the heart. He was impressed by people who, who actually earnestly desired to follow him. Amen? And that, that, that was like, you know, the entire backdrop of Matthew 13. And I want to zoom in on, on, on a verse in Matthew 13, and it's in verse 44. And it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in few, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he gives and sells all that he has and buys that fill. I'll read that again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Crazy. When we pray that prayer, like, Lord, I want your kingdom. When we pray that prayer, God, I want to seek first your kingdom. It looks like this. It looks like a man who's found treasure. The Bible calls it the pearl of great price. Gives up everything for it. That is the kingdom of God. We're going to look at, at another passage of scripture. And again, you know, Jesus was, was um, faced with the multitudes in Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, 25, it says... Now again, no, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, Jesus looks at that great crowd, that great multitude, and says to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me, if he does not hate his father, mother, Wife, children, brother, sister, yes, his own life. If back in the day they owned dogs, dogs would be up there too. It's an eight-point sermon. Hate your father, hate your mother, hate your wife, hate your children, hate your own life, bear my cross. If you cannot do these things, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be a, a follower of me. You cannot embrace my kingdom. And you know, I, when I, whenever I read this verse, I try and like, water it down and try and like make it a bit like palatable, you know, like, like oh, I'm sure God doesn't mean hate, you know. Let me go and look up the Greek word for hate. It's hate. <laughs> and then I'm like, I, I searched like all the commentaries, I went to like the lexicon, I, I called my friends and like, it's, it's hate. <laughs> it, it really just says that. And I'm like, what kind of loving God will ask me to do that kind of thing? Is the God that you all signed up to follow. It's true. And we, we read the rest of the verse. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish Have you count the cost? This is what, this is what it means you know, to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to pursue the kingdom of God. This is what we sing about. This is what we pray. Have you counted the cost? You know, it goes on. You know, I want to read the, 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 
the, the ending verse of, of that chapter, it says, you know, of people who, who uh, do not give, give all or like are, are half-hearted with their attempt to follow Jesus. It said, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Man, Jesus is so edgy. He's saying to people like, unless you follow me, okay, you are like this salt who has lost its flavor. And he doesn't stop there. He says that, ah, you know, you can handle it. Oh, salt has lost its flavor. Okay, I'm just like white sand. But he's, he says this, you know, that you are not even fit for me to sprinkle you on manure, on dung. It's like taking dung and you throwing a bit of this white stuff on it. I'm like, get your white stuff away from my dung. You're ruining my crap. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. It's, it, this thing is, is worthless. It's worthless. It's, it's useless. It has no purpose. Let's look at another verse in the Bible. I know I'm making you all work this morning, but if you follow me, I will land the plane real soon. <laughs> Jesus said, no, this, this salt is worthless, it's useless, it has no purpose. And, you know, the same phrasing and the same language can actually be found in another chapter in the Bible. And that chapter is Revelation chapter 3. He put a verse up. It says, And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Scary verse. You know, I've often, uh, often read this verse as, you know, God desires for you to be hot, on fire for Jesus, or cold, not on fire for Jesus. Like, He, he desires to pick a side. But, you know, the, the context of, of this, you know, is you have to understand that the, the Laodiceans, the, 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 the city of Laodicea, they were a really rich, prosperous city. They, they had a lot of money. They were famous for making eye ointment and producing this thing called black wool which was you know, made into clothing and, and such. So they were a really prosperous town. But the, the thing about Laodicea is that it didn't have a, its own natural water source. So it had to import water, like Fiji water. It had to import it. So it, it imported water, one, okay, from a spring, and it got hot water from that spring. And that hot water was used for bathing. Okay? And then it also imported cold water from the mountains, and that cold water was used for drinking. So what is Jesus saying in this passage, you know, I desire for you to be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. Jesus is saying this, that, that hot has its purpose, cold has its purpose, but lukewarm, it serves no purpose. It's worthless, it's useless. And that same language is used in that verse that we just read, that salt that has lost its flavor. It's worthless. Amen? This is what Jesus is saying about people. And, and I have a sense today that, that you know, the reason why, you know, as a church, not, not, not just this church, but, but globally, and even for my own life, the reason why I, you know, am ineffective and stoppable 
you know, in, in, many, in many aspects. It's because we, I, have grown lukewarm. We have become lukewarm. You know, if, if we, we trace back you know, the, the things I've been saying, a lukewarm Christian is, is someone who has lost its flavor. And a person who has lost its flavor is a person who refuses to give it up, refuses to sell out for the kingdom of God, refuses to do what Matthew 13 was saying. The kingdom of God is like a man who gives everything for that treasure. And can we say that without a shadow of a doubt that when the day comes where we have that option of laying down everything to pursue the treasure, whether it will be an immediate, instinctive yes. If not, you know, then by biblical definition, guys, I, I'm not even making this up. We are lukewarm. I am lukewarm. And the sad truth uh, about this is today, you know, this message is being preached, you know, probably in hundreds of churches. Your pastors are, are telling members that you're lukewarm, you need to pray, you need to repent, you need to come into the kingdom. And the sad truth is, as this message is being preached right now, and at the end of this message, people will come to a conclusion of saying, yes, I'm lukewarm, but I'm okay with it. And I'm okay with leaving the church, leaving this premise and not doing a single thing about it. That's, that's the sad truth. I'm okay with being a lukewarm Christian. You know, and, and let's read the rest of the verse. You know, it says, I'll vomit you out of my, my mouth because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you, lukewarm people, are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Can I ask you if those five words, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, are an accurate or adequate description for a believer? I once was blind, but I'm still blind. <laughs> Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, but still, I'm a wretch. Can I put it to you that this, this was not descript- describing Christians at all? You're wretched, poor. Blind and naked. It's an oxymoron to make the statement, uh, to, to string the two words lukewarm Christian together. Because the Bible doesn't give us an option to become a lukewarm Christian. It doesn't say that there are level six Christians, level five Christians, and level one Christians. There are, there are degrees that have ordained for your life of your love and your devotion to God. Pastors, I put you at a six because you have to do this as, as a job. You get a paycheck for loving Jesus. Normal people, you know, two, one. No. The Bible doesn't give, give us an option to be lukewarm. Amen. Come on, man, help me preach, you know, if, if you believe this. You know. they, they weren't describing Christians. Just lukewarm people. I remember, you know, um, when I was you know, in the army, uh, I read this book by a man named Francis Chan. And Francis Chan, Francis Chan wrote this book called Crazy Love. And till today, it's the only book that I've read in one setting. Like I sit down, I open a book, and I never left that seat. I read the book in one sitting, like I hold my bladder, because the, the book was so captivating. It so spoke to me. And in that book, he had a chapter called The Profile of a Lukewarm Christian. And in there, he lists 
18 characteristics, 18 traits of a lukewarm person. And after I read the 18 traits, you know, and there were two chapters after it, I read the two chapters, I closed the book, I dropped it on the floor, and I fell on my face, and I repented, and I, I said the sinner's prayer again. I said, dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus. Because <laughs> here's the thing, I didn't, I, I, I didn't know if I was Christian anymore. I didn't know if I, I truly made a commitment to follow Christ. I didn't know anymore. I didn't know. And today, I want to present to you four traits of lukewarm people. And, you know, these are things that the Lord has spoken to my life about and is still speaking. And uh, friends, can I tell you that, that you know, this, the, the statements I'm about to make, it might sound strong, it might sound a bit harsh, but can I just tell you that it is strong and harsh to me as well. You know, I, I have not attained it by any means. If and when I give an altar call later, I'll be the person right in front. I've gotten most of your beat. I'm already in front. So I just need to about face and plant myself and I'm there already. No, seriously guys, like this is, this is Christian maturity. This is us growing together. This is us uh, uh, getting out of comfort zone, getting out of normalcy, getting out of nominal Christianity and actually making a decision that counts not just in this life but in the age to come. Come on. Are you ready? Are you ready? Seriously. These statements are a bit, are a bit strong. Here are four traits of lukewarm people. Number one. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> Projection is not ready. <laughs> lukewarm people don't genuinely hate sin. Next slide. They just hate the penalty of sin and aren't truly sorry about it. I'm going to say it again. Look, one people don't genuinely hate sin. They just hate the penalty of sin and aren't truly sorry about it. Most of us got saved, you know, and okay, maybe not most, but there's a chunk of us that got saved the same way I got saved. You know, with like a very like, hey, turn or burn, bro. Like, <laughs> like you better like get your act together or you're going to burn in a lake of fire. Kind of a deal, you know. And imagine, you know, if someone tells you like, hey, if you don't say yes to Jesus, you're going to burn and like everything's going to fall off and you're going to die. Repeatedly. Of course you say yes, right? you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like free and like, I just think. <laughs> and, and the truth is, most of us stop there. We, 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 we get saved and we avoid sin because we, we just hate the, the punishment of it. We, we don't hate sin. We just hate the punishment. And we never truly repent and we never truly come out of that lifestyle. And the truth is, you know, the fruit of people who live that way, you know, they just hate the penalty and aren't truly sorry about it, is that they play this like, like little like back and forth of sin. They are like a bit into sin, a bit out of sin, a bit into sin, a bit out of sin. Like two months, I, I, I abstain and then I'm back in. And then I come out, then I abstain, then I'm back in. And, and, and the truth is, no, there is grace, there's forgiveness in Jesus. You know, we fall, and then he, he, His grace catches us, you know, it, it saves us. But let me ask you, is that the abundant life that Jesus promised us? That we are still slaves to sin every two months? 
No. I can I put it to you that, that the death of Jesus, right? Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. The Bible says that once you were dead, in your trespasses, you were dead. You were slaves to sin. But now Christ has made you alive. What, is, what can a, a living person do? A living person has a choice. Amen? I'm going to drink my water for a bit. I have here 100 plus. Mm. 100 plus and I got a... Ooh. This is a Starbucks Frappuccino. <sighs> okay. Mm. Okay. This represents God. Because it's white. <laughs> okay, that didn't come off right. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Hold up. Jesus is not a white person. He's, he's a Jewish man. Oh boy. Nope. I envision this whole thing to be a lot more solemn than it actually is. Okay, come back. This is God. This is sin. Why? Because Starbucks coffee shouldn't be in a bottle. And you don't add sugar to coffee. It's not Coffee is just... Okay, never mind. So this is God and this is sin. And the Christian, a lot of Christians, they live life this way. Like, I have a bit of God and I take a sip of sin. I love God. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. <laughs> right, right. I'm going to get into the Word of God. Naked girls on the internet. I love you, Lord. Beep, beep, don't not drive! Uh. Correct. And we do this. I'm going to get a stomachache. <laughs> and this is the way we live life. And, we like, we've, and to most people, they think, eh, just a bit of sin. It's not going to hurt much. you know. But you know, let's, let's pour a bit of sin into this. It's sick. It's sick. It's gross. And that's, that's how... I, I, I don't want to say most people here, but that's how a lot of Christians live their life. Are you following me? Seriously. The same root word okay, that is used in this word lukewarm, okay, it's actually found in another verse in the Bible, and it's, that's James chapter 1, verse 8. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Follow me? Okay. That word double-minded, okay, comes from a Greek word that means a man with two souls is unstable in all his ways. When Paul wrote that verse, O wretched man that I am, the good that I want to do, I cannot do, the bad that I don't want to do, I do. That word wretched, is actually the Greek word schizo, which is where we get the word schizophrenia from. Multiple personalities. A lukewarm person 
serves two masters. A lukewarm person has a, has a personality disorder. He, 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 on one end, he wants to serve the Lord. He wants to serve the Lord. And then on the other end, he tangles with sin. Paul, when he made the statement, oh, wretched men, they am, the good, they want to do, da, 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 da. And, he, and he, he ends off the verse by saying, oh, deliver me from this body of death. How many of you are here when I preach that sermon on forgiveness? How many of you are here? Yes? Paul is making reference to that same picture that I gave you guys. Paul is making reference to the Roman punishment for murderers, which is if you murder a person, they will take the corpse and chain it to you, hand to hand, feet to feet, face to face. And your punishment will be to spend the rest of your life dragging a body of death. And eventually, the decomposition from the body is going to kill you, it's going to poison you. And that was how Paul described sin. Sin is a body of death. We cannot tangle with sin. It's going to kill you. When I was... Younger, I was uh, maybe 10 years old. I, I, I have like very bad uh, sinus, you know, nose blocks kind of stuff. And, and oh my gosh, the time is running out. How many of you still, still can follow me a bit? Yes? Uh, I had really bad nose blocks. And, and, and uh, one day, you know, I was walking out of my room. And you know, my, my dad uh, was in the living room and he was smoking a cigarette. And when I walked out, I, I don't know why, you know, I... I, I sniffed a bit of that second smoke, and it cleared my nostrils. Okay, how many of you know where I'm about to go? So, as a 10-year-old, I put 2 plus 2, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I have blocked nose, it hurts, you know, it's, it's stuffy, it's uncomfortable. I sniff some second smoke, and then it's going to clear it. <laughs> and you know that, 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 how many of you know that, that, okay, the smoke would have elevated the, 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 the suffering for a bit, but it was going to hurt me in the long run. How many of you follow me? That's a lot like sin. You know, you have an itch, you scratch it, you know, but at the end, it's going to kill you. It's like sniffing second smoke. Again again, it will clear, it will, it will make you comfortable for just a moment, but in the long run, it's going to kill you. How many of you are following me? That's a good analogy, Andre. Amen. <laughs> I'm just going to make another statement. There are no rankings when it comes to sin. God doesn't view sin in rankings. Sin is sin. Okay? Homosexuality, lying, same playing field. Okay? Ouch. Next verse. Lukewarm people. Next verse. Next statement. Lukewarm people are independent and have no deep need for God. They never have to live by faith. Their lives are structured such that they never have to. Put up that verse again, Revelations 3. It, it talks about, you know, that because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need for nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, God was actually, actually making a, 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 a direct jabs to the, the Laodicean church because they, they were proud of their eye ointment, this thing that, that helped, you know, uh, uh, blindness to some extent, and they were proud of their black wool, which was turned into clothing to, to clothe themselves. But God makes direct jabs and said that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Even though you had all these things, you're still blind and you're still naked. You perceive yourself to be rich and have need 
for nothing. Question for us today is, if God wasn't in our life, would it look any different? Do we have a deep need for God? Is there an area in your life or areas in your life where you need God to show up or else you cannot live, you cannot go on any longer? Because the truth is, if you don't have areas like this, you will never earnestly, desperately seek God. Never. Never. You know, we look at verses like this and say it's you not know, because you were rich. And many times we look at rich and we think, Bill Gates, you know, blah, blah, blah. These guys are rich. But, you know, more than half of the world's population today lives on $3 a day. More than half of the world's population lives on $3 a day. Some of the clothes that we're wearing now can feed families for months. To be in the top 1% of, of uh, the richest people on the earth, you need to make roughly about $3,000 a month. That's $36,000 a year. To be in the top 1%. 48% of the world's wealth is tied up with that 1%. When the Bible talks about the rich, it's talking about you and me. It's talking about you and me. It's so easy for us to, to disassociate ourselves from Scripture. Like When it talks about rich men, like, ah, it's not me. I don't even make X, 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 X amount, you know. But the Bible is talking about you and me. And so when it says, it is easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's talking about you and me. Do you still love me? <laughs> it's talking about you and me. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying money is a bad thing. I'm not saying money is a bad thing. But when money replaces your need for God, your dependency on Him, then you have a problem. So people ask, how much money is too much money? Give me a figure, give me an amount. I would say, how much money is whatever amount that replaces your need for God? When you don't need God anymore. With your wealth, with your resources, it, you talk, we can be rich with talents, with giftings. With your talents, your giftings, your resources, you can make things happen and you don't need God in it anymore. A lukewarm person is independent and have no deep need for God. Next point. Lukewarm people love God but not with everything. They believe that total devotion is only possible for full-time workers and radicals. Lukewarm people love God but not with everything. You know, it's so puzzling to me like, that people hear my story, they're like, oh, like you, you didn't do your degree but you went ahead and do three years in ministry school and now you are you know, on staff. Like, oh man, that's so radical. That is so great. That is so passionate. If I were to put my life, my story in Acts, okay, let's read it, okay? Peter and John in prison. Paul, shipwrecked, persecuted for the gospel. Apostles dying one after another. Andre Tan goes to the US for three years and then comes back and make a not bad no, amount of money and, and now he's back and doing stuff. Doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. And we call this radical? 
I call myself a radical? No. Doesn't make sense. The truth is, over the years, you know, we have taken biblical standards and we have lowered it to our comfort level instead of using biblical standards to raise up our convictions level. The church today calls what's radical, calls radical what Jesus expects of every believer. I repeat again. The church today calls radical what Jesus expects of every believer. Come on. Come on. I don't want to live the same old Christian life. Seriously. I want to be sold out for the kingdom of God. You know, Matthew 13, 44. I know we're running out of time and I'm trying to get this along. But Matthew 13, 44 talks about a man who gives his all. I heard the story recently about a doctor who went into a, the mission field and gave up a, a stunning medical career to be in a mission field. And he spent his days there doing surgery for the people, ministering to the people. And one day, you know, while he was on the field, he had this really bad toothache. And there were no medical resources in the field to get it treated. And so he had to fly back to the mainland and he was in his dentist's office getting treated for his tooth. And then he turned and said to his dentist, I cannot have this happen again. I cannot leave my people. I have to be there for my people. And he turned to his dentist and he said, I want you to remove every single one of my teeth. He said, I, I, I cannot leave the field anymore. I want you to remove all my teeth. And he went back to the field. And you know, he grew old in a few and then they, they had to bring him out when he was a lot older because of all you know, the, the sicknesses and all the, the disease that, that was playing his body because he was in the field for that long. And he was in his hospital on his deathbed. Doctor said, we can't do anything for you anymore. And then he turned to his family members and said, I want you to fly me back to the field. And so they flew him back. They left him there with his people that he loved and he died there pursuing the kingdom. This is a man that lived, Matthew 13, 44. Uh, I heard a story of a Mozambican man. You know, he was in a church service and, and they, they preached the gospel and he encountered Jesus in a radical way in the service and, and you know, he gave his life to Jesus. Amazing. At the end of the service, they passed an offering bucket along for people to give, you know. And he looks at the offering bucket and the thing about this man is that he was completely poor. He didn't have a single cent on him. He had nothing. Absolutely nothing. All he had were his clothes, the shirt on his back. He looked at the offering bucket with absolutely nothing to give. And he looked down on his shirt and he took out every button. And he dropped it into the bucket. The kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure and gives everything to buy it. Total devotion. Total love to Jesus. If right now, Christianity becomes a persecuted religion in Singapore, right now, okay, outside the doors right now, are policemen with crosses ready to take all of you in. Question is, will we die for our faith? Will we give all? Maybe we're not at that level yet. Let's take it down one notch. What if today revival breaks out in Singapore, a move of the Holy Spirit sweeps across this nation 
and everyone gathers at the OCBC arena to praise, worship God, signs and wonders happening, visitations with God happening. Will you make every necessary arrangement to get there? Let's take it down one more notch. If every month I say, let's set aside a Saturday, every month, one day, two hours out of every 30 days for us to seek God and contend for His presence in His church, will we show up? I know this sounds harsh. I know this sounds condemning even, but I can't condemn if I'm not there yet. So I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Most of us are not there. And we've we've said, oh, this Christianity thing is easy. It's nothing. But if we really take the Bible for what it says, we take the Bible, we take the Word of God, uh, literally, it's confronting. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a pursuer of the kingdom of God. And you know, God speaks to me in, that, in pictures. And, and I had a picture where you know, I was walking with Amy uh, uh, along the street and then I looked over and Amy's shirt was torn, tattered and I took the shirt off my, 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 uh, my own body and I clothed her, reviewed all the jiggly parts and, <laughs> and I, I took it off and I clothed her. And then God spoke to me. And he said, you will walk by a homeless person every day of your life and you wouldn't even think to give the shirt off your back for that person. We love each other really well. But do we love Jesus? He says, when you do this to the least of this, you do it unto him. You know, I ask a few people, like, tell me, how do you, how do you express love? Or like, if I ask you a question, like, how do you know that I love Amy? They will say, oh, you would buy gifts for her. You would spend time with her. You would empty out your bank account for her. You would die for her. What if I pose that same four questions to you regarding your relationship with Jesus? Will you buy Jesus something? Will you give to him? Will you empty out your bank account for him? Will you die for him? We have a definition of love. But we have not allowed that definition of love to, to, to influence our relationship with God. Here we have the band on stage. Let's put up that last slide. The fourth trait of a lukewarm person. Lukewarm people do not live with eternity in mind. Life is only about the here and now. They are more concerned with their earthly retirement than their eternal destiny. Let me repeat that again. Lukewarm people do not live with eternity in mind. Life is only about the here and now. They are more concerned with their earthly retirement than their eternal destiny. If eternity, okay, let's say we can have an idea of how big eternity is. If let's say eternity is the entire uh, breadth and length of this entire room. Okay? This is heaven millions and millions and millions of years. The Bible says that life on earth is but a vapor, like mist in the morning. And this is what your life on earth looks like in relation to eternity. And this is not even doing justice. Okay? Eternity goes on and on and on infinitely. Maybe, you know, instead of the length and breadth, we can 
talk about all the way down Cecil Street, all the way down Cross Street, going all the way to Bedok. That is how your life looks like in comparison to eternity. And we look at people who, who make radical decisions for the kingdom of God, radical decisions for heaven, and we call them reckless. True reckless living is living this life without this in mind. Life is beyond your earthly retirement. Life is beyond this death. It goes on millions and millions of years. And the Bible says that how we live this life, this vapor, determines how we live that life. Millions and millions and millions of years. And today, I'm concerned. Today, I'm convicted. Bible talks about how lukewarm people, poor, wretched, miserable, blind, naked. People who will not give of themselves to the kingdom. And it, it's, it, it, I find it a struggle to say this, but I'm concerned with some of our eternal destiny. I don't ever like to tell people like, oh, you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. But the Lord just put it in me like last night and said, I, I'm not sure if everyone is going to make it. And, and you've heard me preach like five times. I'm, I preach happy messages. But, but I, I feel that, that there needs to be a call given today. Some of you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. As that verse, it looks, says that, that, uh, that a wise man counts the cost. He counts the cost before he makes a decision. And today, maybe you have never had it before, but I'm laying out the cost before you. This is what it costs. This is what Jesus says followers of Christ do. This is what the kingdom of God is. Will you count the cost? Can we all stand? In this place. I'm going to close your story and then, you know, we're going to worship. I'm reminded of this story in, in Kings where King Joash consulted Elisha, the prophet, for a battle plan. And Elisha said to Joash, I want you to take these arrows and I want you to hit the ground and the Lord will give you a victory. If you're familiar with the story, Joash took these arrows and they hit the ground three times and that was it. And Elisha said to him, why do you only hit the ground three times? Because you did that, the Lord is only going to grant you three temporal victories and then after that, you're going to lose. Here's what I'm trying to say. Joash could have been passionate and hit and hit and hit but he chose to stop at three. He he chose to do the bare minimum. And his bare minimum effort, his passionless life cost his people. Parents, leaders, friends, your lack of passion does not only cost you. It costs the people who follow you. It costs your family. 
So let's spend some time worshipping and loving Him. Lord, we need Your grace and mercy. We need to pray like never Having heard the word of God, having heard stories of individuals who gave, having heard what it, it means to be a Christian and what it means to not be one. We're going to spend 20 seconds and I want you to ponder, I want you to really count the cost, reevaluate your own life, reevaluate your walk with God. And ask yourself the honest question Am I on fire? 
Or am I lukewarm? Let's, let's spend the next three seconds doing that.